This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Hey, welcome. Uh, uh, good everything. Literally Nubians or Luxorians. What do we call them? You are in a live session straight from the motherland herself, Kemet, Africa, Egypt, all of the things with Dr. Greg Carr. Hi, Ank Ujab Saneb. Ank Ujab Saneb, we are in the Nile Valley, engaged in study. We're in day five, uh, Professor Hunter, and everyone says hello. Uh, we got a couple hundred folk here from all over the world, really, and um, and all kind of backgrounds, different racial backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, geographical backgrounds. But at the core, we're just here to really soak in the Nile Valley and to get get in a little study, a study of ancient Egypt. And that's what we're here. So it's good to see everybody. Everybody wanted to know, are we doing it in class? And I said, well, you know, we don't believe in bad luck breaking the string, so we have to keep it going. So here we are posted up. I wasn't sure. So we have, uh, you know, we have up something. And it was wild because I pulled just out of the recesses of my mind. Remember in 2020, we did a, a you know, to, to uh, lean into the pause, you know, the power of the pause. Oh, yeah. And as I'm listening back to it, you're talking about your trip to Egypt. You're talking about, you know, the power of going back to Kemet and you called the name of Nubians and there was no Nubia. There was no Nubia no. at the time that you evoked that name. And now people, literally Nubians are in Nubia. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really, it's really something. It, it really is something. I, I can't, I can't say, you know, say enough. Thank you and, and everyone here. Thank you. Because again, I mean, and, and we live in a world with a lot of contradictions, a lot of challenges, a lot of hatreds, a lot of mistrusts and bringing people together. Like you've been doing for a long time on all the platforms and then this three all the folks who have joined through another stream that you created it's really the fellowship and the family it's the we it's the community and it is something to to be in a space um i want to you know pause to mention how welcoming and um really first class the people of egypt have been since we've been here uh we spent our first four days in cairo uh, we went in uh, the Great Pyramid of Khufu. So those those folk who are familiar with, and believe me, shout out to to the folk on our bus. We've got uh, six of them. Um, but on our bus, we brought. Wait, you have to you have to pause, Doctor Carr. Y'all have six buses of yeah. people traveling. Mm -hmm. through. This this is your second leg. Like y'all are getting on airplanes, yeah. going to oh, other yeah. parts of this vast uh, continent. Uh, and I just want, I want people to have a little patience because the Wi-Fi is not as solid and strong because you're, you know, you're in a different place. That's right. uh, so we're going to, we're going to work through the pauses and the stops and starts and I already prayed to rebuke uh, the technology demons in the name of Jesus. But, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, things can happen. So I just wanted to say that, but you know, people say Alhamdulillah, no question, no question. Six buses. Yeah. Yeah. Comfortably. Uh, shout out to the guides. To the uh, to the guides who are uh, here, uh, who, some of some phenomenal folk, professionals, well trained, well experienced here in the Nile Valley, the women and men, because we've got one sister who is just just phenomenal. Um, the folk, the travel agency, consolidated, and and their and their domestic partners here in Egypt, 
who've been first class all the way, all of the folks, the folks who work at the airport, uh, the police, the uh, folk who work in the hotels, everyone on all the sites, all the just casual interactions we've had with the people of Egypt, the government, um, just been a wonderful experience. Um, this is my first time back, myself and Dr. Beatty, Mario Beatty, since we, um, since we uh, came in 2019 before COVID. And um, make sure, making sure you're here. You here, aren't you, Prof? I am. I am here. I just okay. Wanna, I just want to make sure. Yeah. yeah. I, no. No. I got you. I got you. I just want to make sure. And it's funny because I, you know, yeah. Anyway, so this is my first time here, and Dr. Beatty uh, coming back since 2019 when we came with primarily students from Howard University, and it's a very different journey, and a lot has happened. The world has changed in the last four years. Um, when we came then, I think that was probably my first time in Kemet was 1996. So, and then it was about 10 years later, 11 years later, 2007, and then eight, nine, 10, bringing students, 11, 12. We incorporated students from Chicago State University, Morehouse College, um, Miles College in Alabama, some others. So this is maybe like number eight or nine times we've come, but this is completely different in the sense that this has the feel of some of the earlier journeys. Uh, yesterday, we uh, sat, and had conversation after an incredible presentation and discussion of a trip in 1987 when a thousand uh, African people came to the Nile Valley for the uh, Nile Valley Conference of the Association for the Study of Classical African Civilizations. And uh, we had a presentation from Kwaku Larry Franklin Crow. Uh, he and his partner, his wife, uh, Mama Olabisi, um, Ola Kalade, are here among so many others. And just the conversation about setting aside questions of race, setting aside contemporary questions and debates, and just saying this society of ancient Egypt, 3,000 plus years of unbroken intellectual work by humans, sitting in the space and listening and thinking and reading and discussing and connecting and wanting to get deeper understanding of how human beings through cooperative effort can build something remarkable. This is a gift to humanity, regardless of racial background, regardless of cultural background. And for us, that is the centering work. This is a study tour. Uh, we're going at blinding speed. Uh, the baby is nothing else ambitious and fulfills it. Shout out to the great Asa Grant Hill III, not a Bafor or Manquatia II who pioneered going to some of the places that we go that very many others don't go. And again, you know, we show up on a site, the Egyptian government has invested so much money and time and resources in making these sites available. Uh, and so we show up at Dashur or Maidun as we did a couple of days ago and show up at the pyramids of Seneferu. Seneferu dates back to the so-called old kingdom. And uh, you know me, I already bought a bunch of books and I'm going to buy a bunch more. You know, yeah, I bought somebody, enough clothes. Somebody caught somebody caught you uh, reading and I was like, shocker. Talk. Somebody, somebody <laughs> has a picture of you reading. And, and Talk, uh, caught me reading. <laughs> yeah. And in Nubia, you know, um, both on my page, uh, I have a Karen Hunter show chat, uh, people are sharing, but there's a an actual Kemet tour uh, page that people are sharing videos and pictures. And I, for the first time, had FOMO. I'm sitting there like I have oh. a feeling. I have a feeling of missing out. Not fear, but um. So Urias and I were sharing Urias, whose name, who is named 
when he was in Kemet. That's how he got his name. Absolutely. We were both like, why aren't we there? So we were having this conversation and I was like, next year, bro, next year. So yeah, I, laid, next year. I laid out the whole you know schedule for next year today because yeah. the joy, and let me just say this too, um, the step pyramid, I, I to see it up close through with y'all, like it's it's different than watching a documentary, it's different than watching other people go watching us come out of the pyramid, the tears, the just the, the joy. But oh, the yeah. sun, Dr. Carr, the sun looks so much brighter. I don't know if it's me, but I was looking, I was like, that sun just looks like it is beaming. The sun is unbelievable. The sun is unbelievable. We stayed near the pyramids at a, at a fairly new development. The, the Egyptians have, uh, they're going to open the Grand Egyptian Museum, the gym, shortly. Um, and they have now a string of new hotels that are nearer the pyramids and near the, and near the Grand Egyptian Museum. And the one we stayed at, which we needed a hotel with a ballroom big enough to accommodate our, our numbers so that we could eat and also stay there for conversation. There was a bay window and every morning the sun rose and a number of, and this isn't unusual, a lot of a lot of folks who come to the Nile Valley get up before sunrise to see that sunrise because the skies are so clear. And as it rose, you just see that that perfect orb rising. And, you know, and, and interestingly enough, it is hot here. Of course, it's hot. It was getting hotter as we go south. But um, it's a different kind of heat. And it's yeah. interesting to hear people, you know, from California, Arizona, uh, from places where those heat domes of the United States come here and say, it's hot, but it's not as hot as at home. <laughs> and, that and, sun and, the, just... and the watermelon, because I've been looking, you know, because I'm a foodie. People have been sharing their meal. Why is the watermelon redder? Why is why does it look sweeter or more delicious? I'm like, denial gives light. The fruit is unbelievable, and of course, we have to be careful because well, we know that you know once you're consuming water from somewhere that you're not used to consuming. So we've had for you can imagine we've had every type of challenge travelers have, but we're meeting those challenges collectively. But the fruit is un. Believable, yeah. Folk eating watermelon, and you know we're on the bus, and they come on, and everybody's had a good breakfast, and now we're out, and you know, you know our people. Folk them brought music, so of course when we went to the pyramid of Khufu, the Great Pyramid, Old Kingdom, um, we're talking about. We start talking about Khufu and Khafre and Menkare. This is about twenty four hundred to twenty five hundred BCE. It's about forty five hundred years ago. We get back on the plane, uh, plane. We get back on the bus, and the brothers have fired up Maurice White in the stone because it's written in the stone. As we talked about years ago, now and in, in class, uh, Maurice White, Earth, Wind, and Fire. One of the early iterations of the band. They were named the Pharaohs, coming out of Chicago, and uh, you know the iconography. When you see the Great Pyramid, the so-called Great Pyramid, and again, this we talk when we talk about the Great Pyramid of Khufu, we're talking about the Fourth Dynasty. Um, in, in, in Egypt. Again, we're talking about roughly speaking around 2543 to the 2400s, 2436 or so, but about 100 years it takes to build those three. We're talking about ruins now because they were encased in limestone. And so, you know, we, we were laughing at the fact that when you see them, they don't look like they looked when they were at their peak. Uh, the largest of the three built by Khufu is 2.3 million stones. Each of those stones, big stones, these large stones, and uh, no mortar, uh, stacked perfectly, arranged perfectly with inner chambers. And you realize that there was a once limestone casing that went up each of the four sides. And at the top, metal was 
Earthers. It would shine. You could see them from unbelievable distances. So when you look at the album covers of Earth, Wind & Fire, that was very deliberate when uh, Maurice White and, and all of his companions, including our brother Philip Bailey, who's here in here with us, uh, when you think about our brother Verdell, all those in Earth, Wind & Fire, is very deliberate what they did. I mean, the gift to humanity of Kim is very important. And, and as I said, uh, we're here to get a glimpse. There are folks here who've been studying for many years, and there are folks here for whom this is all new. And everyone is pouring into each other, receiving from each other, having fellowship, interacting with uh, not only the tour guides and the folk here who we are encountering formally in the country, but informally in terms of just the regular folk of Egypt. And it's quite something to sit around and, and hear interaction between folk who are going about their everyday lives, work a day. You know, this is a Muslim country. So yesterday, Friday, of course, Juma and prayer. Um, we were very fortunate today to visit one of the older mosques in the city. And also to go to the Coptic church because we know that the roots of the Abrahamic traditions come out of this region. So uh, the church we went to today is one that is very popular with visitors to Kemet, uh, to Egypt, as it is known in the Coptic church, Quibit from the Arabic for you know, Egyptian Christian church. And it is said that this is the church that was built on the place where, as it is told, Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus went to hide from Herod. And whether that's true or not is beside the point. It's the question of how human beings make meaning, cultural meaning making. And so it's just, just remarkable, again, as we entered the space with our numbers, we're, we're seeing people from all over the world. And it just sparks every kind of conversation you would imagine. Um, but I mean, I, 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 we'll keep this one brief today, but I want to just you know, not only continue to thank you, Karen, thank you, Professor Hunter, but thank everyone who is on this journey with us because what it really reveals is when you take time to study and you take people as they are, where they are, the possibilities are endless. The possibilities are endless. We're, we are sitting in a country that's entire existence is defined by this longest river in the world, the Nile, a river that um, begins life nearer the equator in Uganda, that flows through the Sudan, South Sudan, and now Sudan, that enters and, and converges from it, the stream that begins in the highlands and flows through Ethiopia, that meets up in, in the Sudan and then flows down into the Mediterranean. It seems like it's running from south to north. It's just running backwards. No, when you look at the topography, it's running from the highlands down into the Mediterranean. And when we think about Kemet that way, Think about the Egyptians that way. What we're talking about is, and I'm going to say this kind of colloquially, kind of tongue firmly in cheek, but true nonetheless. There's a bunch of farmers. These are simple people who are farming the land. They're farming the land, and uh, we have a young uh, man here with us, with his parents, who is in single digits. And I won't say a whole lot more. You know, we'll talk more about this in Nubian. We'll talk much more about it when we get back. But uh, he asked a question last night to Larry, quickly Larry Crow, how do people become gods? <laughs> this was the question of a child. Larry said, well, you know, among other things, he said, you know, these people that we're looking at, that we're studying, we have all these lessons to teach humanity, looked upon nature, were blessed by abundance because the Nile flooded, the Nile receded, they were able to plant and harvest without uh, doing the kind of labor that required them to extend the effort in terms of extending the Nile, although they did extend the Nile ultimately, 
And because they had abundance, they had time to think. And when you have time to think, you can tap into your divine potential. Mm. This is the lesson of all the revealed so-called ways of knowing, the so-called religions, Christianity, Islam, Judaism. All This is the lesson of all revealed ways of knowing. When you have time to think, that's when you can listen to that spark of the divine within you, and then you can do whatever you need to do. We don't come to study the pyramids simply because they are monumental wonders of architecture that have never been replicated. Not that there aren't pyramids other places, but none like this. We come to look at them and to question, uh, as we can, those who built them and, and question the circumstances. We come because they give us a glimpse of what people can do when they have time. Mm. You know, when farmers have time after they have uh, harvested, after they've planted and harvested, and then in those four months of the season when the Nile has receded and it hasn't yet flooded, so you can't do any planting or harvesting. The state, the administrative state is put together. And what you have is farmers, agriculturalists from up and down this river being knit together by an administrative state that emerges prior to the third century before the common era, prior to 3000. So we're talking about a pre-dynastic period that goes back tens of thousands of years. And as they begin to problem solve, they begin to stitch people together to cooperate because this is about cooperation. And as they cooperate, they cooperate in a way that allows them to retain their individual individuality. It's a culturally pluralistic society that Kemet puts together, but it's knit together by these larger concepts, these deeper concepts, these concepts of cooperation, these concepts of truth, these concepts of um, justice, these concepts of reciprocity, treat people as you want to be treated. And through that, in those four months when you can't plant or harvest, the state puts you to work at a wage, pays you, and skilled labor puts together only in the four-month period. They're not working year-round on the pyramids. They're working during the time. They're not doing other things. They're not planting and farming. They're not doing their work. And that skilled labor creates something that is almost unimaginable today. We still don't know, quite frankly, how they built those pyramids. There's a lot of speculations and probably nearly accurate. But the bottom line is nobody's done it since. And the question of time is there. Um, I, I think that's why it's super important um, for us to sit in that, what you said just now, when people come in and don't understand what is happening and they, and they base their judgment on their limitations and then they proceed to destroy all things because they believe that their thing is better. You lose the momentum of memory. Right. And so as black people all throughout the globe, we have had, uh, not just a 400 year interruption, but thousands of years of an interruption that we get to see ourselves in glimpses through the Greeks, through the Romans, right? Through some yeah. of the, some of the Europeans, because they have our monuments and, and statues and things in their museums, their, their, their uh, places of thievery. <laughs> all I was thinking about was a walking the steps that people walked 2000 years ago, 3000 years ago, that you were right. on the same grounds. Those stones were touched by the hands of people two, 3000 years ago. And that right. connection that we have to our ancestors. I just want to thank you for that. Um, I, I can't thank you enough. And, and the formal that I'm having, the feeling of missing out is also a reminder to take advantage of, you know, sometimes we let our, our fears and, 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 you know, our, inhibitions or, or, you know, our, our concerns get in the way of 
the true knowledge, right? So, you know, I was worried about there being too many people and COVID and this and that. And I was like, oh, of course, of course. Had all of these thoughts, but you know, sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta go. And Mm -hmm. I want to shout out all the people that just went and just did that thing. And they seem to have such a great time. And I'm so incredibly happy for the joy that I'm seeing in the videos and the, and, the, and you oh, and Dr. Beatty are in your element. I just want to say that too. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Beatty, y'all, y'all are like. He's in his element. He's in his, I'm in my element too, but this, yes. this is what Mario studies. I mean, and so many people here who are, who are taking Metanature. Again, uh, we went into the pyramid of Unis, not Unis. We, we didn't go into Unis. We saw Unis, but we went to the period, uh, period, uh, pyramid of Teti. Teti was a, a pharaoh in the fourth dynasty as well, this old kingdom. And again, you know, as we talked about in Office Hours a little while ago, there are three, the, the general history of Kemet is usually divided into several, uh, into four categories, so-called pre-dynastic, before the union of the entire Nile Valley, um, which creates Kemet. The old kingdom, this is the period that begins somewhere around the 2600s and extends through the 2100s. It's about a 500 year period. And then there's a period where Kemet kind of not breaks apart, but begins to kind of drift apart. Again, everybody has their autonomy. So you see the rise of local people, local knit, knit, knit kind of people. And then other people are coming into the Nile Valley. It's called the so-called intermediate period. Kemet is a very rich magnet for people from all over the region. So it's always had a lot of different kind of people in it. Uh, the farther up the Nile you go into inner Africa, the more we see, for example, we'll be going shortly to Aswan. And that is a region of modern Egypt that is populated mainly by the Nubians, which is fascinating because a brother, a Nubian, saw uh, one of the shirts and all everybody got their new, different people had a different Nubian shirt. I love my giant record. It's where we're our sister because, you know, that's my man. In fact, there's a brother on the trip now, Professor, uh, shout out to the National Association of Black Social Workers. He's, you know, a member of that, longtime member. He was one of Dr. Clark's students back in the early 70s. So we've been talking about what it meant to sit in class with John Clark at Hunter College. I mean, it's just unbelievable. But we saw a brother and he saw a Nubian and he pointed, he said, Nubian, Nubian. <laughs> we just started laughing because he pointed at the church. But as we go further south, but, but I raised that because, you know, modern Cairo, largest city in Africa in terms of greater Cairo, you know, 20 some million people, 22 million people counting in the region. You know, it's every kind of person here. Every kind of person here. And it's incredible what cultural diversity does. It's a different kind of cultural diversity than the United States in some ways. I mean, the settler state of the United States of America has a different kind of approach because the, the originary violence creates and perhaps even limits the possibility. That's what some of these folks want to hold on to this whiteness having a problem. Here in Egypt, it's a, it's a much more... Um, kind of long-term interaction. And ancient Egypt is as relevant now as ever because you see the fingerprints of Egypt on everybody, regardless of background here in Egypt. You see the background. I mean, um, as I said, oh, anyway, so the Old Kingdom, uh, that period, and then you have the, the period of kind of dissolution of sorts. And then you have another period, the so-called Middle Kingdom. The Middle Kingdom runs, roughly speaking, from around 1980, 90 um, B.C., so almost four, well, about 4,000 years ago to around the 1760s BC. So you're talking about a period of maybe a couple of hundred, 200, 230, 40 years. And then there's another period of kind of dissolution, disruption, the so-called second intermediate period. Then you have the so-called new kingdom. The new kingdom 
comes into existence around um, the early 1500s BCE, and it takes you through um, the roughly speaking 10th century BCE around 1070, 1070, 1080. So you're talking about a period there um, in terms of new kingdom of about 500 years. Mm. Those short of 500 years. Now imagine that the United States of America is not even around 300 years. You take that, add 200, you've got just the new kingdom of Kim and Kim was old by then. So you're talking about generations and ways of people. And I'm raising all this because in the first stage of our journey, we're about a roughly speaking about a little bit less than a third of the way through we anchored in the old kingdom this is the foundation for so much what we call human civilization now not just the pyramids not just the pyramids of the builder seneferu whose name literally evokes beauty nefer for those of you taking meta nature and he said dr Beatty, that's what i mentioned you said marlon we're in our element dr Beatty gave a talk in the hot blazing sun <laughs> which, you know, once he gets going, it's like, wow, this is an incredible. Uh, it was funny because we have these things they call whispers here in the Nile Valley uh, or in uh, the tour of the tours. And there are two people touring from all over the world who are here. Um, it's like, it's really a, a, a portable mic a microphone. So you got the speaker here, the receiver on a channel where you can all hear. You got to hear earphones, you put your earphones in. Tour guide talks and we got a big group you can hear. That's what we did when we were in the Cairo Museum. Seeing Tutankhamun, King Tut, Death Mask and all this kind of thing. Uh, so. We're out on the site, and at that moment, the night before, Mario had given a talk about Seneferu, the builder. Seneferu is uh, the builder who paved the way for the Great Pyramids. And there are two, there are several uh, pyramids that we went to see that predate, predate the, the Great Pyramid, two of which are so-called the so-called Bent Pyramid of Seneferu, and the so-called Red Pyramid, given the color of the stone, the color of the stone when the sun hits it, particularly the sunset. And there are Egyptologists now who argue that they call it, they, it's called the Bent Pyramid because many people say, well, they went up to build a pyramid and then they had to change the angle when they realized they hadn't come correctly. So it was kind of a mistake. And then the Red Pyramid, they got it right. And then they go up on the Giza Plateau and build those other ones. Well, Mario is, you know, he, he, he agrees with the most recent thesis, which is that the Bent Pyramid was not a mistake. It was an attempt by Senefero to approximate or give a symbolic gesture toward the white crown of upper Kemet. There's a white crown, almost just like a bowling ball, bowling ball that represents upwards of the Nile Valley. And the red crown of Kemet represents the um, lower Kemet, closer to the Mediterranean. When you put them together, it becomes upper and lower Kemet, and that's greater Kemet. That is the nation called Kemet. There are many ways to talk about their duality. You could talk about the two ladies, the cobra and the vulture who are symbolized of natures or spiritual forces of upper and lower Kemet. You could talk about the sedge and the bee, uh, the Insubidi name of Pharaoh. There are five names that Pharaoh usually gets, um, the Nesu. And so, but they represent this unity. So Mario was saying, Seneferu didn't make a mistake. His builders didn't make a mistake. They made the bent pyramid like the white crown and the red pyramid to represent the red crown. So what he's doing is saying, we are unified. It's a very powerful or as Frankie Beverly might say, and you have played many times, Professor Hunter, we are one. I mean, the idea of unity, while everybody retains their individuality, you knit them together into this powerful force. So he's there, and usually the tour guides would come, and we get off the buses, and each guide kind of leads us through, and then at night, we process what we've done. It's a hell of a schedule, rigorous schedule. But at that moment, they all got off the bus, we all got off the buses, we got these couple hundred people who were out there in this blazing sun looking at this white pyramid, and everybody heard what Mario said the night before. These brothers and this one sister take off the whispers. 
they take off the microphone, they take their microphone off that they have to speak to everyone. And one by one, they drape the whispers over Mario's neck and say, you give to talk to everybody at the same time. I tell you, and he talked about the meaning of these pyramids, the latest scholarship moment. Because again, this is a study tour. We're not here engaged in kind of this overinflated, you kind of rah-rah. No, no, it's a very empowering moment of reflection on what these human beings did. And it was a, it was a remarkable moment. So he definitely hit his element. Um, and, I, and I'll kind of, I won't narrate one by one, because again, when I, when I get back, we'll, we can, you know, process this more. And we have office hours on Monday. We'll, we'll talk about that um, as well. So we we doing that because it's gonna be three o'clock in the morning. Like it's already twelve. What was oh, it? Yeah. How come you don't sleep? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'll sleep when I get back to the states. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not abusing myself. In fact, um, quite the contrary. Again, this is probably I feel the best when I'm able to be in a space with all these folk. And you know, my stomach is yeah. I inherited my father's stomach, so I don't have a a heavy weight stomach. Like I said, I had to be careful what I eat. So I eat, you know, enough, you know, sustain myself. And it's almost like a, a fast, not not a deliberate fast, but I'm not, you know, hydration is important. I drink more water here. I ain't had no coffee since I <laughs> left the States, which is crazy for me. But uh, but I'll be up reading and studying and I'll, I'll get my sleep. And then, but three o'clock is nothing. That's all right, because I'll probably, uh, we'll probably have a short night that night. And that's the other thing. We've never done this before. We've never done this. And by this, I mean this kind of collection of folk. And, you know, people get excited. And when they get excited, you know, everybody wants to do everything. And we've had to kind of say, look, you know yourself and we are learning each other. Let's be kind to each other and kind to ourselves. You don't have to go into everything and any, you know, Kim is going to be here. They built it for a long time. And uh, so you have to do everything. And so people are discovering things about themselves. We've got elders here. We've got younger people here, teenagers, younger than teenagers. Um, the the core is, you know, folk who, you know, you going in and up and down and around all day in the sun. That ain't going to be something you can just do rah-rah. So people are learning, you know, we're all learning how to balance this. And it's really been something that there's a generosity of spirit that happens when you look it out for each other. Let me, um, you, we, we had a little brief talk before and, you know, as I discover myself, I want everyone to be on that same journey. I feel like this, this country has addled that part of us, that self-discovery, because we're just trying to survive. Many of us, we're just trying to, to get from point A to point B that we don't have time, <laughs> as you said, to sit, to sit long enough to find our own divinity, right? And so for those of you in Kemet or wherever you are, you have an opportunity to, to, to discover yourself in these moments and to see what you're made of, what you like, what you don't like, what you're comfortable with, what you're not. The discomfort is where the growth happens. So lean into that maybe a little more, but I feel like there's there are, I'm already hearing transformative things happening and it ain't been but five days, not even. Right. Oh, and some of the best conversations have nothing to do with the Nile Valley. Come on. I'm sitting here listening to two brothers who are members of Black biker associations on the West Coast in the 1970s and 80s do comparative conversations about going between L.A. and San Francisco. I ain't going to name no names. When we get back, we'll have a conversation. I'm listening to 
um, and I don't, you know, I'm listening to a, a brother and sister and the brother's son, the sister's nephew, talk about HBCU athletics through the lens of one of the greatest legendary coaches in the history of sports, black or white, because they're all here talking about this man who they are their father. And, you know, and I'm sitting here having conversations with uh, medical doctors about how we heal ourselves and what medicines are and aren't necessary and how we can get back our health. It is an incredible, while we are literally standing in, I think, which is a new museum here in Kemet, which is a gym. Oh, this is a gym. This is the uh, Museum of Egyptian Civilization. Oh, it's so well done. It's so well done. It's not that big and it's so well curated. Uh, it starts with pre-dynastic pre and it takes it up through the history of modern Egypt, which is a unique thing it's, in terms of my experience coming to the Nile Valley. But you know, we, we were looking at a case. There's a case of medical instruments. Uh, we're, we're gonna go to a place called Komombo, where you will see on the wall, surgical instruments that Egyptian doctors, including women, a woman named Peshiset. This is New Kingdom in the late, late period. So New Kingdom, we're talking about the period where a lot of people know those names, uh, Hatshepsut, Ramses, for example, uh, uh, Amenhotep III, Queen T, uh, Tutankhamun, this is the period, the uh, the so-called New Kingdom, again, around 1500, 1540 uh, BCE through about 1000, 1070 uh, BCE. They're doing surgery. There's a, there's a, there's a, that we saw a limestone um, rendering of the birth of Isis. You see Isis being born and the sister who gives birth to Isis, Newt, the nature Newt, is sitting on a birthing chair because that's the best way to give birth not laying on your back with your feet in the air or on the ground, but sitting like on the birthing chair. We're going to see that at Komombo, but in the Museum of uh, Egyptian Civilization Day, we saw, I'd never seen this, this rendering, this, this bas-relief rendering, which is just beautiful, in the same case. And on the, at the top of the case, surrounded by these instruments and these reliefs, there was what appeared to be a stitched leather foot. It's exactly what it was. Yes, it was a prosthetic a prosthetic a toe and feet and and and, and the other uh rent the other uh, toes uh, the big toe and the other toes on the foot for somebody who had lost their foot but to have medical doctors here to have healthcare professionals here talking about their experiences not with the study of ancient egypt but triggered by seeing that conversations about health Mm -hmm. about how to keep the circulation in your body going so that you can avoid diabetes and circulatory issues. At the same time that we're walking and going in and out of things, and some people have had some challenges because they want to do everything, and then, wait, is your ankle swollen? Hold on, everybody slow down. Everybody slow down. Because we're here together. Leave no person behind. Maybe, you know, we need to, I mean, the, the, the generosity is here, and we're all learning at the same time. Um, and again, I, you know, I, I'll keep this one brief. Uh, because we're now about to get into the Middle Kingdom. Again, just to recap very quickly, the Old Kingdom is when you see the archetypes. The statuary is just remarkable. In fact, I found a book when we were on the way to the Coptic Church, because my thing is, I go in and boom, let me identify quick. It don't take me long. Uh, this is a book called Ancient Egyptian Statues. There are many lives and deaths. Simon O'Connor, this is American University of Cairo Press. Uh, came out in 2022 because now I'm looking for books that have come out since COVID because I ain't been here since COVID. And so, you know, I pack enough clothes to get through 
maybe go through one wash cycle, I'll have everything washed, man, and that leaves me out the rest of the space to put the books in the case. Anyway, but this book is talking about that statuary, and the older you go in ancient Egypt, in some ways, the better the statues are. So when you look at those early statues, you see this attention to detail, like we saw in the Cairo Museum the first day we were here. And the closer you get to now, you see variations, but every time the people of Kemet got in trouble, there was external invasions, there was internal dissent, and there was that, because it's human. The other thing we do is don't sugarcoat Egypt when we're studying it. We're looking at conflict and how they mediated conflict. We're looking at when they couldn't re resolve conflict. We're looking at empire building, some of the greatest spillers of blood in antiquity were Egyptian. Jehudimos III, known as Tutmosis III to the Greeks, Ramses II, his father, Seti I, who's a fascinating figure in so many ways. And these cats spill a lot of blood. Hatshepsut, Queen T, two of the great diplomats in human history, um, T in particular, and in, in, in partnership and in conversation with her husband, Amenhotep III, uh, Hatshepsut in her own way, uh, unmatched in terms of her time on the throne. Um, you see them engaged in diplomacy, but that also means they got a military. It's a very complicated conversation. It's a conversation that we have had, even having conversation as we've gone through the Nile Valley and stopped at a, at a powerful monument to Anwar Sadat. Anwar Sadat, to those in the diaspora, particularly in the 1970s and 80s, this is a guy who people in the African diaspora looked at as a black person. Louis Gossett Jr. played him. If you remember, it was like a made TV movie, Sadat. Here in the Nile Valley, there is a monument to him. He was assassinated. His mother was from Sudan. And he they took over. He, Gamel Nasser, and Naguib took over after uh, the, uh, the dethroning, so to speak, of King Farouk in the 1950s. And again, military guys. I mean, it, you know, it is Sadat who at Camp David negotiates and signs a peace treaty with Israel which engenders the indemnity of some folk in Egyptian society and the admiration of others. And so it's a complicated history. And for us to come here and see the long arc of Egyptian history, it's a lesson in human relations, and a lesson in conflict, a lesson in cooperation, and a lesson in continuity. Kemet teaches continuity 3,000 years. So the old kingdom we look at, the archetypes, as I said, we went into the pyramid of Teddy, Teddy and Unis, these sparrows from the old kingdom on the walls of their tombs underneath the pyramids. And we've got to see Teddy's. There are prayers written. These are the oldest liturgical documents in human memory that we have, written documents. They're called collectively the pyramid texts, the pyramid texts. And so this is where you see the pharaoh uh, making entreaty to God. And when you look in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, pyramid of, of Teddy and you see the stars literally inscribed on the ceiling and then you see the meta nature to see people able to pick out symbols they know to read small passages they know because they've been studying meta nature it is phenomenal in fact uh another of the tours that was coming through some of the people were in there with us and one of the people said to one of the people who were here with us you can you read that and, and the young lady said a little and then the other lady was like, wow. In other words, it's like you, yes, because you can. If you just take the time to study the language, anybody could do it. And, that, and that's what we're learning. So we are now past the pyramid age. And we start coming into the first intermediate period in the middle kingdom. Uh, we're now looking at the centers of administrative 
authority in Kemet that were established during that old kingdom period. We went to uh, Menefer, Memphis. That's what Memphis, Tennessee is named for. We literally stood in the area of Memphis uh, on, above a statue of, of Ramses II. And Angie Porter, who, of course, is a study in Medinature, was helping people read the names of Ramses in the Chenu, the, 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 uh, the cartouches, as the French would call them. I mean, it's just really transformative. Uh, we uh, now will look at Waset and Southern Opet, known as Thebes, Luxor. These are the major temper complexes. They're often called the largest outdoor museum in the world. These are the temples and all the pharaohs had to have something at Thebes, had to have something in Luxor, had to have something built at Waset, the scepter, the power, was, meaning power in, in, in Medunetje, and uh, Southern Opet, the avenue of the rams that, that stretches as they would have rituals that would take you from one to the other. Um, we will see Hatshepsut, her Tekken, her obelisks that were erected. Uh, Jehudi Most III trying to erase her name out because again, conflict is at the center of this. The White Chapel of uh, Aminamat, the, uh, no, uh, Swinwosri, not Aminamat. Aminamat, I'm thinking about Bohemian Masu, the repetition of the birth. Before Renaissance, the concept of repeating the birth goes back to that intermediate period and the uh, Middle Kingdom in ancient Egypt, which Jake Carruthers loved so much, that Middle Kingdom around, I said, 1980, 1990 BCE into the 1700s BCE. And then we will go, we're going to go to the Valley of the Kings and Queens. Uh, today, again, that, that museum of um, Egyptian civilization, I encourage anybody who comes to Egypt, you go to Cairo, go to that museum. Because there are things that's not that museum I haven't seen anywhere else. We saw a statue of the the man who supervised the creation of Abu Simbel. That's the famous um, temple for Ramses II and Nefertari that is built nearer the Sudan border, right on the shores of what became Lake Nasser after the Nubians were flooded to make Lake, Lake Nasser. Um, never seen his statue before. Never seen this brother's statue before. I don't know where they had it, but it's in the, uh, the uh, Museum of Egyptian Civilization. The Sahu, known colloquially as mummies, royal mummies. Many of them are in that museum. So we, today we saw T, Queen T, her body. We saw um, Hatshepsut. We saw Ramses II, Seti I, his father. We saw Amos Nefertari. Yes, Nefertari. Now Nefertiti, Nefertari. Although we did see the bust of Nefertiti in the Cairo Museum that aren't the Berlin bust, the one people ride around their neck. No, this is another one, along with the many renderings of Akhenaten uh, in that museum. But and then we had a conversation, many of us, as we were coming in and out about the propriety of having bodies on display. It's, a, it's again, a challenging conversation. I was so uh, encouraged because today is Saturday and we're seven hours ahead of everybody, in, in, at least on the East Coast, and then longer, of course, as you go across the continent in North America, but in the Western Hemisphere. But we saw all these young people because this is their day off from school. Like Sunday here in Kemet is a regular day. It's a Muslim country. Friday is their holy day. It's the holy day. It's the, not their holy day, the holy day here. And they were on trips. They were coming to museums. Some some approximation of the scouts because they had the kerchiefs, except and it was co-ed. Watch these young people coming in their mummy room. And watch looking at them, looking down into the faces of these bodies of people who lived uh 3,500 years ago, 4,000 years ago, 3,200 years ago. And 
you know, you wonder what's going through the mind of a 15, 16, or 17 year old. These weren't even college students, these young people. I watched the young mother and daughter, little girl, her mother, and I, I didn't I didn't disturb them. I like disturb people when they in, you know, I don't know these folk, but I'm just just encouraged by listening to the conversation, even when it's not in the language that I speak. It was Arabic. She was, the little girl was enamored with the medical instruments, the surgical instruments. And I just imagine, is your mother a doctor? Would you want to be a doctor? This, a, this gives a different rendering to Doc McStuffins <laughs> when you are looking at these, these medical instruments. So anyway, so the, 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 the middle kingdom is a period when they've had some disruptions and they go back to the old kingdom for inspiration, what Jacob Cross would call the Wahimi Misu. We're going to see a lot of those renderings on the walls tomorrow. And in and, and the next few days, as we go through many of the kind of spiritual centers and administrative centers. And then finally, we're going to look at the new kingdom when we look at the, the Valley of Kings and Queens, continue to go up the Nile into Aswan, sit with Nubians. We're going to go to, as we always do, a couple of maybe one, at least one of the Nubian villages and schools that they built. Uh, the great guide for many years, Farouk Carney, who they call King Farouk here in the Nile Valley, long retired, but when he finds out we're in the valley, he comes by and sees us. We'll get a chance to sit with that elder. Um, support education in Nubia, uh, well, in, in uh, among the Nubians. And uh, we're going to do that. Very important. And so looking at that, it just brings so much to life. And And I'll, and I'll end with this for now because there'll be so much more for us to talk about when you know we return. People are processing. Uh, Mama Olabisi made a point the other night, very important. He said, people need time to think. If you're always moving, and that includes me, you're always reading, you're always studying, but you need time to process. You read that sentence, sit back and think about it. Because being in that room with the Saku, the mummies, that's something that we probably could have just done, only done that, and spend a day or longer, just contemplating what that means. The stories of each of those people, you know, almost never Tari, whose braids are still there in her hair, in that mummy. Thinking about that 18th dynasty and 19th dynasty, particularly 18th dynasty when they drive out invaders. You know, I mean, it's, it's just very powerful. But, um, you know, I'm on the mission. I got to get some books. So I'm going to show y'all a few of these. That I, okay. Oh, come on, come on. Well, I was going to say the, the hair had to be of wool to be still braided. Couldn't be slippery. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. And I wanted no. to thank, thank it's, you. It's <laughs> but I, I don't want to thank you because uh, somebody shared a video of paper making papyrus. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, as a writer, I was like, yes, we need to know that literacy was <laughs> a real thing. People wrote on paper first. There, there. I yes. know that the Chinese had uh, their moment, but the papyrus, but the, when he broke off the bark and then, you know, spread you know took the water out and i was just fascinated by um how ingenious folk were they figured a lot of stuff out including uh aqueducts and sewer systems and things people are struggling with today and when you said the birthing well, who who's following behind the ignorant ass europeans to to lay down <laughs> on your back like why why didn't somebody stop that to this day All it's, right. it's it no no it's it's right it's common sense i mean the people of the world you know we're not talking about the so-called elites. What about regular folk? I can't wait. One of my favorite places to go is Set My Eye, the place of my eye. This is a worker's village for the people who built the tombs for the pharaohs. So we're going to go to Tutankhamun. We're going to go to Seti the first. We're going to go to Ramses the second, Judy Most the third, the tombs of these pharaohs. But who built those tombs? 
you know, who built those tombs? We're going to go to the workers' village where some of those people lived on the Sakura Plateau. We saw the Step Pyramid of the Hotel. Uh, a brother who said, "Okay, we're building with mud brick, and that's cool. Why are we building stone?" So you see the columns that we use today, and at the top of the columns, the the stone renderings of the plants, the vegetation of the Nile Valley. Any it changes the way. Anytime you walk into a uh, a building and see a column, it's got looks like a plant or something at the top. This is Ionic and Doric, you know, Kemetic, Egyptian. This is the foundation for it. The, you know, so, but the people did that. People had to work. Farmers had to work. So when you had to work, and not, not farmers, skilled labor. Skilled labor has developed. And those people, you know, we don't know who could read and write in Egypt. That's lost. What we know is if you're working on a tomb, you had to have language skills. And, and soon there became enough people who knew how to read and write that they developed something called hieratic, a cursive script for Metanesher, a shorthand as such. And it's so beautiful. So the writing, yes. And so we did. We saw papyrus. Every time we come, you know, we go to the papyrus place and people get papyrus, you know, you see people uh, literally making the papyrus in front of you and then they let you try and you see this is the genius, like you said. Genius is, is experimentation, time to reflect and to experiment. And so we did see that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, on the quest. I just show you all a few things I picked up. I showed you that ancient Egyptian statues. There are many lives and deaths. I was looking for my man, Nubian brother, who sells books in that alley, but he wasn't there. My man, Tony. Um, but the other brothers, others were there, and they hooked me up. Um, Aiden Dodson, the first pharaohs, their lives and afterlives. This is a fairly new book. I want to say, you know, 2021. Again, many of these are American University of Cairo Press, and uh, the American University of Cairo is here in in in, in Egypt, and so yeah, this is a good one. Aiden Aiden, Aiden Dodson, the first pharaohs, their lives and after lives. That of course is Khufu. Uh, this is um, Zoser. Zoser it was the pharaoh when Imhotep was the vizier that built the Step Pyramid, and you know, Mario talked about that too. The impenetrable stars. Um, we got some real folk who are having some. In fact, there's a sister here who said, I didn't recognize her face, but I remembered her voice. Because uh, one of our colleagues, Deborah Heard, is here, who works, among other places, with National Geographic, has gone on, you know, trained in archaeology, done digs in the Sudan. And she's one of the talking heads, one of the voices in the Netflix Cleopatra conversation, uh, which is interesting because uh, the sister was like, Yeah. I was watching it, and and then I said, and when I heard her, I said, I know her voice. She's going to talk uh, as we continue. Uh, Deb is uh, the afterlives of Egyptian history. I thought this was very interesting. This is actually a feshkrift, a kind of collection of conversations in honor of um, an Egyptologist, Edward uh, Bleberg. But this came out, American University Press. This came out in 2021 as well. The afterlives of Egyptian history again talking about not only what it means to study, but what it means to remember, and then what it means to tell a story that other people talking about the same thing may tell a completely different story. How do you determine what's right and what's wrong? Well, let's just sit with the idea that people are shaping narratives to contemporary society instead of maybe just letting the thing speak for itself. It's a very interesting thing. Again, we're not here to get into race fights. We're here to think about how human beings through cooperation have created something. And so it becomes a very different kind of conversation. This is a fun little book, I think, is for me anyway. Um, I hadn't seen it. Uh, it came out in 2022. It's called Ramses Love Papata. 
the history of a colossal royal statue. This is the statue of Ramses II that is now in the foyer of the Grand Egyptian Museum, which isn't yet completely open. Uh, it used to be in front of the Cairo train station. And this is the story of this statue, its journeys, this kind of thing, what it means. I have a copy of this book, but... Real, real quick, Doc. Yes. Who, who is Ramses? Oh, Ramses. All, all we know, all we know, are the uh, the man that um, had a lot of kids, and that's why they named the rubbers for him. So, how about um, that? Yeah, like sixty-seven <laughs> sons. I think we go to that tomb as well. People had the option of going. Yeah, that's Ramses the second is a fascinating figure. His saku, his mummy, is in the uh, the Museum of Egyptian Civilization. He was in that 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 room. Ramses the second is a new kingdom pharaoh. And again, I come back, we could talk more about this, but long story short, that, 18, that 19th dynasty is fascinating. There's a lot going on there. The, the, the titan of that age in terms of, and again, I don't, I don't want to romanticize pharaohs, because again, we got, we have, we've had these, we're having these conversations about monarchy. What does it mean to have this hierarchy of leadership and monarchy and kings and queens? Itself a kind of challenge. Um, but the kind of, symbol of the the apogee the, the the height of strength of the 19th dynasty is a cat named amenhotep the third amenhotep the third in fact let me see i don't have i don't think i have any of the amenhotep stuff let me see let me see maybe i can find a quick picture of him because i don't bring a lot of books to the nine uh, the second rather i don't bring a lot of uh books to the nile valley i try to uh keep it keep it light because let me see if i can find his dates uh, yeah, Amenhotep the, the yeah, it's Amenhotep III. Amenhotep III, 1386 BCE to 1349 BCE. This night, this he's in the 18th dynasty. They've had a disruption in the Nile Valley. The 18th dynasty, so-called 18th dynasty, is founded by a pharaoh called Amos. Um, Amos around 1570 BCE. His wife, Amos Nefertari, who's Saku we saw today, they kind of drive out the invaders. Interesting enough, Amos' mother, and I'm, I'm forced, and when we go to Luxor Museum and again to the Nubian Museum in Aswan, particularly Luxor, um, looking at the battle medals his mother won. His mother had battle medals for driving out invaders. It's, it's bananas. When you start talking about black people, white people, yellow people, don't matter. Women in empowerment. Yeah, look at the mother of Amos. Anyway, um, that dynasty, the 18th dynasty, has folk like Jehudimos, and then Hatshepsut. Um, Amenhotep III comes to the throne and reigns for quite some time. 1386 to 1349, we're talking about, uh, what is that? 50, 60, 70, 80, 36, 37 years. His wife, T, paramount wife, primary wife, because again, there are multiple spouses involved in this as well, um, and multiple children from multiple spouses. T, um, is a diplomat. T is an intellectual in her own right. Her parents are not from royal bloodlines. In fact, we will see their place as well, their tomb. And they together shape the kind of progress and future of Kemet in the middle of that period. After them, and I'm coming to Ramses, uh, there is a disruption. I'm, uh, Amenhotep's son, is Amenhotep IV, but he changes his name because he decides that his way of knowing, he wants to take Kemet in a different direction in terms of spiritual practice. He wants to focus on the Aten, the sun, 
as the kind of symbol symbol of spirituality, symbol of creation. So he changes his name to Akhenaten and moves the administrative and royal capital of Kemet to a new city he builds, a place that we never get to, to go, uh, and Daryl Medina. And no, not Daryl Medina. Um, it'll come to me in a minute. I'm sorry, it is getting a little late. But um, Agnaton moves the administrator. Say, Agnaton's wife is Nefertiti. This is the Nefertiti that people talk about. Not Nefertari, but Nefertiti. Nefertari is earlier than Nefertiti. Um, Tel El Armana is the name of the city that Agnaton and Nefertiti rule from. Tel El Armana. Well, the priests don't like it in Thebes. The administrative state doesn't like it, but he's a pharaoh. When Agnaton dies, his son takes the throne. Tunak Aten. Tutank Aten, the living reflection of God. The Aten, living reflection of God. Tutank, meaning life. Tut, the kind of living reflection of God. That's the translation. We know him as King Tut, which don't make no sense. That means King Reflection. No, Tut. Anyway, Tut's young when he takes the throne. So they put pressure on him. The priesthood, the administrative state in Kemet. Yeah, man, you know, don't you, you, you taking the throne. Don't you want to come back to Amun? This priesthood of Amun is fascinating. When we go to Karnak Temple, we're going to have a whole conversation around Amun-Ra, the priesthood of Amun. These cats, man, it's so much intrigue, so much palace intrigue. I mean, forget Bridgerton, man, that's, that's Bush League. If you want to start talking about palace intrigue, you need to come to Kim. Anyway, they put pressure on him. Akhenaten, son, Tudak Aten, changed his name to Amun. He comes back to Amun, Tudak Amun. That's King Tut. We talk about. The reason we know Tut is because somebody broke into his tomb. Most of his tombs been raided in antiquity. Tut is so important because his little tomb, because the boy is out. In fact, Tutankhamun reigns from 1334 to 1325, nine years. And it's all kind of entry. Was he killed? Did they overthrow him? And then you see the military rise. The cat that, put, that comes after him, I, A-Y, is a military guy. And then you see these generals. After I comes Horn Hill. Horemheb is a fascinating figure in himself. And then you get the 19th dynasty. Now we come into Ramses. Ramses the first who founds the 19th dynasty is, is, a, is a military man, soldier in this military line. These aren't bloodline pharaohs. And by the way, you become pharaoh in part by who your mother is. Again, this matrilineality is fascinating. But, you know, you're talking about military people who come in. Seti the first is an officer. Seti the first is fascinating. Seti the first, who I find fascinating, well, we're going to go to Abidus, which was started by him. But anyway, I'm, I'm, again, I'm getting into the weeds of this. Let me kind of wrap this up. Seti the first took the name of Set. Ain't no pharaoh do that before. Set is like, you know, it's not Satan as such, but this is like the malevolent force. Set. You know, Horus and Set. The battle of Horus and Set. Set versus Wasir or Osiris. This is the this is the kind of military blade. Seti, and Seti the first mummy was there. You see these kind of diminutive figures. They're, they're kind of diminutive, kind of short, petite figures. And then you see Seti the first, he's a long dude. His son, Ramses the second, is a long dude. And that's where Ramses II comes up. Seti the first reigned from 1291 to 1278. And then his son, Ramses the second, takes over in 1279. Kind of, you know, right after his father and reigns until 1212. 67 years, this guy's on the throne. He becomes known as the greatest general military guy as Pharaoh in the history of the Nile Valley. He's a he's fighting everybody. The Battle of Kadesh, which we're going to see at the temple of Abu Simbel. Uh, you know, there's this story of how he's fighting the Hittites. I remember the first time, second, for the second time I was in there and I remember looking at the wall and he tells this story. Uh, 
um, 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 Ramses does when we're fighting the Hittites. They're invading, so I plunge my chariot down to the middle of them, and I'm fighting, holding them off until my uh, division could come because they got a division name set, division of the army, so military. See, and they're fighting these guys. You see them with the with the war crown, which is a whole different crown. And I remember looking at the wall, and I'm thinking, I'm hearing 50 Cent in my mind. Many men wish death upon me. <laughs> I mean, the Ramses is like got this thug energy that's, that's fascinating to me. Now, and he had sex, like you said, with all these women, the worldwide consorts, and had all these sons, all these children. Ramses expands Kemet, but there are problems when you expand. Sometimes you get too big. That 18, that 19th dynasty has all kind of history that we have to, to, to look into. And a number of his sons take over in the 20th dynasty. There are several Ramses. Ramses the third, there's a whole concept. There's this whole notion of the so-called harem conspiracy. Medinet Habnu, we're going to go there and talk about how they tried to take him out. Ramses the third is Ramses the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, and eleventh. That's the whole 20th dynasty. But anyway, that is who yes. Ramses is in a broad context. Yes. Yeah. Can you take us out with one of the prayers on one of the on on one of the uh walls that you experienced? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Days? Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that. And I'm, I'll mention one other book. Like I said I had a copy of this, I kept with my hands on it. But there are a lot of folks who we're talking a lot about religion. Of course, it's gonna come up. Islam, Christianity, you know, the, the, the Abrahamic faith traditions, Judaism, their impact with Kemet. It's an excellent book by Jill Campbell. Uh, K-E-M-I-L, called Christianity in the Land of the Pharaohs, the Coptic Orthodox Church. And she talks about, in fact, the question that you raised, uh, the question is raised, how did Christianity succeed in an Egypt that already had an established religion which had lasted for more than 3,000 years? These are questions that people like Jeremiah Wright have studied for years. And Baba Jeremiah, I wish he could, could have come with us because he's taken people to the Nile Valley to Jerusalem, to Israel, to the Red Sea for many years. In fact, Ezekiel was with him when he made transition in Cairo back in 2007. And he studied this for years, so I won't even dare to even breathe anything else about this except to say that those relationships, the spiritual systems we have, many of them, including what Dr. Yosef Ben-Yakin used to call a major Western religion, come out of this region we're in right now, the Nile Valley. Um, but yeah, we, as I said, we went to um, to Teti to see the pyramid texts. And in that same area, there are two mastabas. There's two uh, places where major administrative figures serving the pharaohs of the old kingdom had their um, temples, for lack of a better term, their mastabas, which is Arabic for like bench. It's like where you have the person who is deceased. This is the rendering of their life and their afterlife. One was the chief justice of the courts of Kemet. There were six administrative district courts, and this guy was the chief justice of all of them. He probably married Teddy's daughter. Um, um, that is Kagemi. It's fascinating going his into his uh, his mastaba and see him on the walls. He's in charge of the treasury. He's in charge of the courts. It's like John Roberts, but John Roberts couldn't compare to this guy because Kemet's a lot older and a lot better and a lot stronger. But anyway, he's the chief justice. And then the other one is Taotep. Taotep is well known. Uh, I think about Mama Nia Damali down there at Madhu Bookstore, who co-edited with Asa Hilliard and uh, Larry Obadelli Williams. Now Mama Nia is the only one still on top of the earth the other two her ancestors called the teachings of the maxims of Taotep. The teachings of Taotep. We stood in Taotep's house, for lack of a better term, his house for eternity. The, the writing attributed to this brother 
who also was a was a, an advisory king, a vizier, a planner, an administrator. He left a testament that is generally attested to be the first book of wisdom literature in world history that we have. Sebait is what it's called in Egyptian in the hieroglyph. Seba meaning to teach, to learn. Also, it could be the word for star. And one of the reasons I like being up, which is why three o'clock in the morning don't bother me, is because particularly when we get deep south, there ain't no lights. The city lights are gone. And you can see the beautiful sky, including the area of the sky, the northern area of the sky, called the where the imperishable stars are. That's how they line up the pyramids of Khufu, Khafre, and Menkare, and the Hor and Akit, the horse of the horizon, is known as the Sphinx. And you see how they mapped out the stars on the ground and the pyramids and the Sphinx, including, uh, of course, the great star Sirius, which is rising at this time of year. Uh, the so-called dog star. That's where we get the dog days from, the Romans. We're in the dog days, which begin in, in July and take us into August, but it is a tribute to Sirius. But the Romans is only riffing on the Greeks, and the Greeks is only riffing on the Egyptians. So why talk about them when we can go to the original and see that in the sky? But Ptahotep left a book of instruction. It was used, among other things, to teach children how to write, learn how to read and write in ancient Egypt. So it's kind of a school book, too. But the, the substance of the book our sayings, our maxims, as the French might call them, our, our wisdom literature, or sebaït. And it, it begins, and I'll end with this, and again, it's interesting. It begins when Ptahotep is very old, and he goes to the pharaoh, and he says, you know, old age is bad. The limbs begin to ache. You know, I want to sleep all day. Sometimes even breathing is hard. You know, we get older, we get, you know, I'm 58. And some of these walking in and out of pyramids and up and down in the temples, you know, I had to watch myself. I got to stretch. got to drink plenty of water. I can't cramp up. This is the lesson some folk are learning now. We're being very generous and kind with each other because we are here together. Tautep was a lot older than I am. And he said, man, I'm about to become an ancestor. He says, may I be allowed to create. In the Medinetia, one of the phrases is medu yawu, a speech or a staff of old age. May I be allowed basically to train my replacement. And so the Pharaoh says, yeah, man, you got to. You can't just go and transition, make transition. You've got to help the next generation. And I thought about that because one of the folks who is here, Ife Ford, my sister Ife Ford, her husband, um, her husband, my man Ebo Ford, uh, was a was my student at Temple University. He has made transition, but Ife is here. She's in Nubia, and she's just a beautiful sister. The first day we were here at dinner, she presented myself, Mario, and Valethea uh, Watkins, uh, copies of photographs that she had taken, her husband had taken at our dissertation defense when we were being trained as staffs of old age. I've never seen these photographs before. This is her husband, Ebo, in a picture with me and Theophilo Benga. That's the day of my dissertation defense. Ebo gave me. Wait, wait where are you? Wait, where, who, which one are you? <laughs> Uh, about a hundred pounds. Uh, uh, Who is that? No, no, no question. Who is that guy? That's that man. The important thing that's Ebo. That's the man right here. His <laughs> wife is here with us. My man. I love this brother. Philadelphia, all the way down. Back in the '60s, late '60s, when Mumia Abu Jamal was a brother named Wesley Cook in high school, 16-year-old Black Panther selling Black Panther paper. Paper. Uh, Ebo was a student at Ben Franklin High School in North Philly with Mumia and the rest of them, and they wanted to change the name of, of uh, Ben Franklin High School to Malcolm X High School. And Ebo had kept 
the, the, the sweatshirts and the t-shirts. And when they had graduation, the year they fought that fight, they didn't win the fight, but they made their own graduation certificates. And they said, we are graduates of Malcolm X High School. I mean, this was the title of the Black Power, my man Ebo. But Ife brought these pictures. And I, and I just, you know, here's here's one of, uh, our, of, our, of our committee. This is my committee here. You see uh, Theophilo Benga, of course, the great Obenga. You see Jacob Hudson Carruthers there, ancestor uh, Ella Forbes, who was in his department. Uh, I mean, every State Department at, at, at Temple and the great Marimba Ani, uh, Professor Ani. Uh, shout out to Marimba Ani, whose granddaughter is a freshman at Howard this year. And of course, the brother who introduced the panel, who was the chair of the committee and then came to sit down, is Nate Norman. There's Dr. Norman with a lot less gray in his hair. This was 1998. May we be allowed to speak uh, to create a staff of old age? I'll show you one other that she shared. This is myself, Mario and Valipia, years, years later. And of course, here is the great Nzinga Radabisha Heru, an ancestor now. Her grandniece um, is here, Makeda Kumasi, who opened up uh, before Mario began to talk uh, the first night we were here and had talk after dinner. She brought her bad axe with her all the way from L.A., uh, the West Coast, the West Side. She brought her 16-string Cora. Yes, she brought her Cora. So before we uh, began, uh, Makeda um, brought her, her Cora and played and gave us spoken word. And this is her auntie, who that day, after we defended our dissertations, while the provost of the University of Temple, the dean of the college, was there watching about 300 people that air because the community came. That don't happen at dissertation defenses. Everybody came. She got up and said, I got something to say. Now, she's not part of the faculty at Temple University. She ain't the provost. She ain't on our committees, but she's our mother. She's the president of the Association for Study Classical Organizations. And she brought us certificates from uh, two young people who were teenagers who had gone to Kemet with us. And she said, these certificates um, acknowledge that you have passed your, um, your test and you are now doctors. Now, mind you, the committee is deliberating. <laughs> the provost of the university had to sit there and watch the community say, y'all doctors. Now the university can get y'all PhDs or not. But the community has said, through the children, that y'all are doctors. So Tao Tep says, may I be authorized to create a speech of old age, a staff of old age. And then he gives the instructions. So this is where we close. The man whose Mustafa, whose tomb we stood in and looked on the walls, all these folk from around the world, his wisdom literature is a series of how people should behave. He begins by saying that good speech, that medu nefer, good speech, which is, a, which is a, an extension of good character, as the Yoruba would say, Iwawere, Iwapele, gentle character, good character, Omoluabi, to be a good person, a good character in the community, a community person. says that that can be found among any human beings because Ptahotep says that you can find good speech, good character, good behavior among anyone, even the, the girls who are pounding grain at the well. In other words, you think that those sisters over there are pounding grain because they ain't go to school. No, you better listen. Listen to them because good speech can be found everywhere. Because as Tao Tep says, no one, no one is born wise. No one is born wise. So I'll leave with that because there are a lot of maxims there. And if y'all want, you can buy that book, The Teachings of Tao Tep. No one is born wise. So uh, part of our journey is to learn, learn from each other and realize that all of us are capable of learning. So that, that's the lesson Tao tell from the old kingdom here in the Nile Valley. So Ashe. as we continue the journey, I say uh, and Jack, <laughs> Jack is in the in the uh, Nubia chat is are now 2000 plus people. 
uh, oh. on, a, on a Saturday evening. You know, some including left- some people here. Now they just asked me exactly. We gonna do in class? They yeah. somewhere in the rooms on look. They don't like me. Yes, and they were like we could only come together in the lobby, maybe. Uh, but yeah, yeah, they've been they've been saying that. But I mean, we 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 might. I don't know if I can pull it off, but I'll see because we'll be in that swan by the time we come around again. So maybe we can pull that off. I got to figure out because I, I didn't trust the internet connection. Yeah. And I knew I didn't think we were going to be here long. So. Yeah. No, this hey, is- I love y'all. You know, <laughs> go to bed though because we got to be out. And right. we're going to the yeah. temple. They said 6 a.m. They, like they up 3 o'clock and 2 o'clock. What is it? What time is it now? I'm trying to let y'all. It is now uh, 1 13. Quarter after 1. Yeah, yeah, about quarter after 1. And we got to be up. Uh, wake up call 5.30. Breakfast 6 out on the bus in the streets by 7 30 i think and we are going to be on the sites because you want to get out before noon because Ra is no joke as in Zinga, you say Ra's gonna kiss you Ra like your grandma i'm gonna kiss you whether you want it or not yes yes listen listen uh jack wanted a libation for the people traveling to a swan and 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 through um where you are right now and um what I thought libation was for people who it is it for the journey is libation. Do you pour libation for the journey? What, what? it can be, it can be in, you know, it could be in any uh, form form. And for any occasion, there was a sister who felt moved the other day. So she broke out. I don't feel no ways tired in the meeting. <laughs> As we were singing. So a libation is basically an acknowledgement. Um, sister Stephanie, Joy Tisdale, brother Kehinde, um, who is one, two of our former students who are now teachers of their own, um, Kehinde Graham, Chad Kehinde Graham, and Stephanie Joy Tisdale, who helps run our freedom schools. Uh, okay, I think that the expiration has come on the internet. We should have left here 12 minutes ago. I feel like we just got an hour. All right, Dr. Carr, um, I know you probably can't hear me because you just froze. But uh, and everyone traveling in the Nubian streets, uh, I'm committed. Back. Okay, are you back? Okay, all right. Anyway, they did a they they did a wonderful prayer. Uh, yeah, Stephanie did a Yoruba prayer, and Chad uh, Kehinde Graham did a brief libation. They can be used for anything, just a centering, and we use them as centering exercises every morning. We we center ourselves because again, human beings have to be kind to each other, and so that's what, so it's it's also a moment of remembering. Remember, we're not alone in this. So. Well, safe travels to all of y'all out there in them streets. Uh, and those of you who are not, safe travels. Well, thank you, and, Internet, for holding up. And thank you for yes, that prayer, which that yes. was a form of libation. The ancestors got us through. Yes. And we're going to continue. I'm looking forward to meeting some more people here and having conversations. Things. Thank you. All right. Well, so we'll see you on Monday. And we may do something with Michael Harriet um, beforehand, maybe on uh, 6 p.m. Those of you in Nubia. Well, oh, wait. Little- I'm sorry, Professor Hunter. What? Did what I did I, I I see Baba Jeremiah just texted me? Did says? um Charles Ogletree make transition? Oh yes, yes he did. He did. He did today? Yes. Thank you. Did you see I that? Knew that was something I saw on Twitter or somebody. I, uh, can you hear me? Yes, somebody posted it on Twitter that Charles Ogletree made transition. Oh okay, yep. Yeah. Oh Mike. Okay. Yeah, the internet is jacked up. Yes. Do you want to? Can you hear me? Wonderful. Okay. All right. We're behind too. We're going to let you go. No, that'd be wonderful. Can you hear me? Yes. We're going to let you go and get some rest because I I see the internet has an expiration date. There we go. Uh, Love you, Dr. Carr. Love everybody that's out there that uh, has joined us and and is a part of what we're doing here. And uh, we'll see most of you on Monday. Some of you I will see on Monday as well. Uh, Have a wonderful rest of your trip. Love you.